Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger going solo on Sunday night after we just watched the AFC and NFC Championship games. We now have our Super Bowl. It's Bengals versus Rams. Doubt really anybody had that one coming into the season. The Rams, I'm sure many people had, but uh, the Bengals, not, not so much, seeing as their over-under in Vegas was quite low. They were supposed to be the fourth-best team in the AFC North. They shocked the world and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's actually where I want to start today's podcast uh, because it relates to the Browns. And I'll get to that in a minute. Here's the thing uh, about the Bengals. It, there are a couple of key takeaways Browns fans should have from this game. You know, everybody on like Browns Twitter is debating about whether or not we should be rooting for the Bengals. There's something more important actually to take away from this game is the Bengals are not the best team in the AFC this year. In fact, they're not the first or the second best team in, in the AFC. Uh, the Chiefs, who they beat today, are a better team than them. If that game is played 10 times, the Chiefs are winning the majority of them. And I think what today you know, really illustrates is that football in particular is a game where upsets happen. This is not basketball where over a seven-game series, the better team is, you know, likely going to prevail in all circumstances, you know, health and everything precluded. In football, sometimes the best team just doesn't win. The Chiefs were better uh, than the Bengals, and they lost this game because of a couple bounces, the lackadaisical nature of their play, yada, yada. You know, we, we don't need to get into to it too much. And and I think you could make an, an argument that, you know, the Bills, if they played the Chiefs 10 times, might win even more than the Chiefs. Maybe not, but I think they would both beat the Bengals more often than not. And, and to me, the reason why that's important for the Browns is, of course, that the Browns are likely not going to be the best team in the AFC at any point, as long as these guys are in, in the conference, right? As long as Herbert as long as Mahomes, as long as Allen, these guys that are, you know, top 10 quarterbacks, pretty cut and dry, are in the conference, it's going to be really tough for the Browns to be the top team. Not saying it's impossible. It, you know, it can happen where you're the best team. But, you know, the Titans were the number one seed this year with Ryan Tannehill. I don't think anybody thought they were the best team, right? So even if the Browns get the number one seed, I don't think – in all likelihood, that they will ever be considered the AFC favorite uh, with Baker Mayfield as a quarterback, frankly, uh, unless they have one of these generational guys, which even at his best, I, I think, you know, the most diehard Baker supporters would say, OK, he's not one of those type of players. Even then, uh, you know, the, the Browns are probably not going to be favored, but that doesn't mean they can't win. And we know how close they were uh, against the Chiefs a year ago. And watching the Bengals today, I was like, you know, and, and look, the, the Bengals are were a better team than the Browns this year, even though the Browns beat them. I understand, you know, I understand that. But I watched that Bengals team today, and I was like, okay, they're not that different from the Browns. Like, I think there is a world where the Browns team this season could have played as well as the Bengals are playing this season. They didn't, clearly. Baker Mayfield didn't perform. A lot of the team around him didn't perform. The injury situation didn't go their way. That's another thing is the Bengals are extremely healthy right now. I mean, outside of Larry Joby and a couple of linemen that got dinged up earlier in the year, they're extremely healthy. Uh, but again, I just don't think these, this Bengals team is, is 
a, a level of elite that the Browns couldn't reach uh, as far as the play that they're achieving this season that got them to the Super Bowl. And yes, there's luck that goes along with that. It's not going to be the most likely scenario. You'd rather be the Chiefs and the Bills than the Bengals, of course. I'm just saying I think the Browns could be the uh, the version of this year's Bengals at, at some point. And so I would I take that as some optimism for Browns fans. And here's the other thing. Here's this dirty little secret I'm going to let you in on that I guarantee, I guarantee you're not going to hear from a single media member this week talking about the Bengals. Is that Joe Burrow hasn't been great in these playoffs. He's been good. He has been good. Don't get me wrong. It's not like Joe Burrow's been bad in these playoffs. But Joe Burrow is not performing at the Patrick Mahomes, like Josh Allen level. He's not. Let go, let, let's go through the games real quick. Against the Raiders, he was 24 for 34, or 244 yards and two touchdowns. The Raiders were knocking on the door to tie that game up with Derek Carr. Not that great of a football team, and they had an a, ample opportunity to beat the Bengals when the Bengals were hosting that game at home. Let's flip to the next week against the Titans. Joe Burrow, it, it was 28 of 37 for 348 yards and an interception. 348 yards, not too bad, right? Except the, his QBR was below 50. His, his EPA per attempt negative in that game. Uh, it was a lot of bad stuff because he took, you know, the nine sacks or the nine sacks. Obviously, his offensive line played a part in that. But Joe Burrow played a part in that, too, as, as a couple people, you know, that do the film analysis, uh, you know, for for the NFL broke down this week. Some of those sacks were on Joe Burrow, actually. And again, if Ryan Tannehill doesn't throw three interceptions, that game is going to the Titans. In fact, if he just doesn't throw an interception on that last drive, that game is probably going to the Titans. And then this week against the Chiefs, 23 for 38 for 250 yards, two touchdowns and an interception, where again, the advanced numbers also not that impressive. Like Joe Burrow's been good in these playoffs, but he's not lighting the world on fire. I tell you what, if I did my AFC quarterback rankings today, Joe Burrow's fifth for me still. I'm putting Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert ahead of Joe Burrow. These playoffs are not changing that for me. Again, I talked about last week. Like, we have got to get the, uh, this concept of playoff wins as a measure of a QB out of our head. Yes, they are a factor. They are a data point. But they are not the be-all, end-all. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a fantastic quarterback, despite the fact that he has been to a Super Bowl and was in another conference championship game, two in this second in three years. He's not a top 15 quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. But he's got a good team around him, and he's done what he's needed to do to win games, and he certainly has, you know, uh, again, you know, made the throws in the key moments. That's an, uh, an important piece of it. It's just not the whole picture, though. It's just not. And Joe Burrow, you know, is, again, been very good. But he's not lighting the world on fire right now. Like, again, I don't think what he's doing is something that, you know, Baker Mayfield, yes, and some of the other quarterbacks, like, uh, around the league couldn't do. Like, Derek Carr, I, in my opinion, could do what Joe Burrow is doing right now. And we just saw that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was mostly doing it until the end of that game. But Jimmy Garoppolo, let me tell you, I had his passing over yards in the <laughs> in that game against the Rams and he hit it. He threw for like 250 yards in that game. And, and you know, the one down the stretch was uh, obviously a bad interception, but 
this idea of, of quarterback wins. And in, in that game, there was like some people taking like a victory lap halfway through about Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, hey, no, he wasn't good. He's not that good of a quarterback. He's fine, but he's not the, you know, top tier and he's not even in tier two. Joe Burrow, maybe you say, you know, is in tier two of quarterbacks, but he is not in the elite tier. And yet they are in the Super Bowl because the breaks went their way. The health went their way. And they found, a, you know, a, a, they found a way to make plays down the stretch in, in a couple of these key games, which is obviously important. But, you know, if Patrick Holmes goes down and scores a touchdown in that overtime, nobody's talking about Joe Burrow on Monday morning. It's just the fact that, you know, the ball goes up in the air. It's a great play by the corner, interception. And, and then, you know, a couple of throws later, the Bengals kick a field goal. So, if I was a Browns fan after last week where I thought it was pretty sobering to watch that quarterback play that was on display and be like, man, if we don't have one of those guys, what are we doing here? This week, I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. These teams aren't that good. Like, do, I don't think the Bengals and the Rams are that much better than the Browns. I certainly don't think roster-wise they are. So, uh, again, good rosters, but I, I think the Browns are, are right up there and, in fact, even have a better roster than both of those teams. So, I would have a little bit of optimism after watching those two games. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Now, the question about who to root for in the Super Bowl, man, I, I don't know yet. Hey, Browns fans, if you've got a, a, a strong leaning one way or the other, you know, DM me on Twitter to let me know what you're thinking because I was rooting for the Bengals earlier in the playoffs. I made that very clear on this podcast. I like Burrow. I, I never hated Cincinnati the same way I hate, hate Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore. But I tell you what, I don't want the Bengals to win a Super Bowl either. Like they've, I, I didn't really think they could, which is part of the reason I was rooting for them. You know, it's like, oh, like now, now they've gone a little too far. Like now it's like, hey, I, I don't want Joe Burrow to, to have a Super Bowl already in his young career and, you know, have that kind of lorded over them. And then, you know, maybe they're more attractive than Cleveland as a destination, you know, for future free agents and stuff. Like I, now I'm good, man. Like I, I, I don't want that. So uh, there's that. And then there's the Ram side of things. And for them, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I've defended OBJ, right? Like I've said, Hey, he was open a lot of times in Cleveland and not getting the ball. I would disagree with how he handled leaving hundred percent, but the points he made as far as the on the field points were fair. I like OBJ a lot less after the story that came out this week about him telling Von Miller not to come to Cleveland. And look, I get Cleveland is not 
the place that all megastars want to be. Okay. Like I get it. I get, you know, New York, LA, Chicago. I've been to all those cities. I understand the appeal. I get that part. But for you to not actively want the team that you are on to add a better player to me is insulting because you're saying that that either you don't, you know, it's such a horrible place that you, you know, you don't want him to come or I don't know. I mean, to me, it makes no sense. Like it, it would have been a great fit. You know, this was part of an SI article where OBJ told Von Miller not to come to Cleveland. And, you know, I don't know the exact timing of this quote. Uh, I could pull it up right now. I don't know if it was before the Browns had Clowney or not, but, you know, he said that he, you know, Miller said basically that, you know, they were working out, doing their rehab together. They became friends, but they, you know, OBJ did not want him to come to Cleveland. And that to me is, it, it, it's not even necessarily the city. Like a lot of people are making it about the city. It's the team. Like you don't believe in your own team. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for me. To me, that's not being a good teammate. Like to, it, that's saying you've already got a foot out the door. So I didn't love that. I didn't. And yeah, I also am from Cleveland, Ohio. And I it's, it's definitely take a pride in the city itself. I think Cleveland is, you know, a, a great, you know, Midwestern city, a, a, you know, more of a, a middle-sized city for sure. But I, you know, I think there are a lot of, par, you know, parts and pieces that could appeal to people, but that's a, you know, that's a whole other thing. You know, if, if OBJ wants to live in the LA in the off season and all that, like whatever, fine, do that. But, you know, there are a lot of cities in the NFL that are not LA and New York, right? Like the odds are you're not going to end up in, in that massive market, right? Like, if you're in Cleveland, I would hope that you, even if it wasn't your first choice city to live in, would want to make the best of it, right? And he didn't. And to me, that is the signal of somebody that's not all in for the team. And so that part hurts. It stings. It's just a fan of the team, right? Like, OBJ is clearly in a better situation now, right? Like, he's in the Super Bowl. He won ultimately that transaction, right? I get that. I do. But I don't want to root for him either. And he had an awesome game today, too. He had over 100 yards, whatever. Um, I don't really like him though. And I don't want to have to root for him. So I can say he was right about his situation in Cleveland. Still, I stand by that, but I don't want to root for him either. So yeah, now I'm stuck between the Bengals and the Rams where I'm not sure who I want to root for. I think ultimately I'm, I'm leaning Rams right now, just because I do like a lot of the other players on their team. I've always been a Matt Stafford fan, a guy who suffered in Detroit because the help wasn't around him. Uh, you know, I've always felt bad for players like that. Like Joe Thomas, frankly, was one of those for the Browns and he deserved better. And I think Stafford is finally getting that in, you know, where he is now. So maybe uh, I'll go Rams, but uh, gosh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I guess as I'm talking through more, I think I'm going to go Rams honestly, just because OBJ is just a way less important part of the Rams. Uh, whereas overall, like the Bengals getting a Super Bowl, like it's one player versus a team. So I think I'm leaning Rams. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, we've got two weeks here to decide, and, and that, and if I, you know, if I'm betting differently than that, so maybe um, my my rooting interest will change. But overall, as I said, I think it was a pretty optimistic weekend. It, as a Browns fan, if you're just watching the teams out there, even the 49ers too, like uh, again, I think their make, makeup is very similar to the Browns, where they're built through the trenches. You know, JOK has not achieved what Fred Warner has yet, but I think there's a little bit of similar style there, actually. 
as far as the linebackers, I know Warner's a little bigger, but the, the Browns certainly have a better secondary than the, uh, than the 49ers do too. So I, I do think uh, there was a lot of, of positive notes from the weekend. And, and so that's why I wanted to start the podcast that way. Okay, let's talk more specific Browns things in, in particular. Uh, I, I The thing I really want to talk about is the Browns draft guidelines, because I think this is important for Browns fans to understand as we go uh, to approach the draft and free agency as a whole. The Browns have made a lot of their guidelines public, both as an organization, but also in specific reference to the draft. Yeah, there's been a, a uh, you know, the, the, the one picture that got leaked out about how they, you know, it's the key positions, QB, corner, pass rushers, offensive tackle, right? Like they, they have all of these things uh, listed out as far as their guardrails, like don't pay for depth, you know, do things like, you know, competitive advantage, analytics, sports science, don't silo people, like, uh, you know, create your own data. They have all these different things. They've got salary cap rules. One of the things we know for the draft is the Browns have very specific rules. So when you are looking at players, keep these in mind because they impact the Browns very specifically in terms of who they draft. There are basically three fundamental rules as far as we can tell uh, about the Browns. And that doesn't mean they don't break them. They have broken them. But they number one is they draft people that are young. They do not draft people that turn 23 before week one of the NFL season. Why? Because analytically, it will tell you there's something called a breakout age. That is, and this is why you see in the NBA, you know, younger guys get favored all the time too. It's very simple. If you are 23 years old succeeding in college, that is because you've had two more years of development time and you're playing people that are younger than you. If you're a 23 year old succeeding, like if you're Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, for example, somebody the Browns are are most likely not going to draft. He is 23 years old, dominating 20 and 21-year-olds. That is not as impressive as a 20 and 21-year-old dominating their same age group and older players. And that's proven out statistically. Guys who break out earlier, especially at skill positions, actually, like wide receivers, a big thing for breakout age, right? The earlier you break out, you have a much higher chance of success in the NFL. Of course, that's not 100% across the board. That's not how statistics work. But in general, that is the case. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense as well as far as the development curve, right? Like when you get into the NFL, a guy who's 21 and a guy who's 23, if they get drafted at the same time, well, the, when the 21-year-old is two years into his career, that's when you should be comparing him to the 23-year-old. All of a sudden, that's when they're at the same age, right? So he's got two more years of development time to catch up with that 23-year-old as well. So it makes a lot of logical sense. It's also borne out by the analytics. It's why the Browns, they have drafted a ton of young guys in the last couple of years. If you look at it, that is what they do. The second guardrail that the Browns use, as far as we can tell, is something called a relative athletic score of 6.66 or more. It's basically looking at the athletic traits of a guy. And I don't even know if the Browns actually use RAS or if they've got a different thing, but they fall into this camp of, Guys who have athletic traits that are really, really high. There, there have been a couple exceptions. I think like Richard LeCount was one of them. Uh, of course, he was injured when he tested, so there was some thought like, hey, he doesn't actually match these testing metrics. But in general, the Browns have looked for upside, athletic upside 
with their players. It makes a lot of sense, right? Anthony Schwartz, Demetrius Felton, you just Donovan Peoples Jones. These guys fit that where they had huge athletic profiles. And, and then the Browns are betting on the you know coaching, development, all of those things to take over, especially because they understand that you know drafting is not an exact science. It is not an exact science. You have to, have to, have to take chances on guys because it, you know, it is not that easy to come up with what works. So they, you know, they accumulate picks and then they take swings. And that's what the, you know, this front office does really well. And that ties into the third thing, which is they trade back. And it's even written in the, you know, the guardrails on that, uh, that picture that got released out is accumulate future draft picks because of the high discount rate. Teams that trade down win. They win those trades. Again, it's not 100%, but if you go look at history, the teams that trade down win those deals. That doesn't mean the Browns aren't ever going to trade up, right? They did that for JOK last year because, as Andrew Barry said, they just they, the value became such that they were like, hey, this guy should – we had him in the first round. You know, it's pick 50, whatever. Like, we got to go up and get him. It's worth it. For us to overspend a little bit here because the scheme fit is so good and they just think that much of the player but they understand that the in general trading down is a good move so the, i wouldn't be surprised if the browns trade down this year in, in in the first or the second round i certainly believe they'll trade down in later rounds so those three tenants are pretty clear in, in the browns draft room and i think that's helpful to understand as you know, a fan, uh, as you start to think about these things, they, you know, the Browns are operating under these assumptions. So, and, and under these guidelines. So I think it's something to understand as a fan as well. Well, they bend them. Sure. As I said, they've broken them a couple of times, but for the most part, they're not going to. So you should have that in mind when we're talking about prospects. Uh, and the reason I bring these up is because we are going to start talking about prospects. You're going to hear it more and more free agency first, but uh, yeah, I think if you look at the Browns track record and drafts in general, you got to trust them. I mean, they just had three guys named to the all rookie team this week, which was awesome. You know, they have drafted, they found some gems late on, you know, later on, whether or not, you know, you expected more out of Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, he was at six round draft pick and he's getting significant playing time on this team. Dimitri Felton was one of those all rookie guys. I just mentioned it's a six round draft pick. Like these are guys that are, are working out more often than they should for where they're drafted. You know, Craig Newsom and JOK, you know, without saying, uh, have been great draft picks at least through one season. So the the tenants have worked for them so far. I don't expect them to stray too far from them going forward. And it's also why I don't think that they will, you know, spend big on, you know, a D-tackle and free agency. I don't think they're really even going to spend, uh, you know, on free, on a, a wide receiver and free agency either. That's just... The analytics don't support it, and, and this is a very mindful front office. Um, it, you know, it says even in the in the draft guidelines. As I'm looking at it up now, I didn't even see this until right now. Build your roster and use free agents less and less. They, yeah, again, they. I just I don't expect this team to to shell out the dollars for the wide receivers like Jordan brought up on the last podcast. Just doesn't typically work out well. The one name that I'm intrigued by is Allen Robinson. I could be so, so wrong on that. And I will happily uh, admit that is that Allen Robinson was not good this year for the Bears. He was not good. The tape is not going to tell you that Allen Robinson was a good player this year. I just look at it as this guy was sick, has had bad quarterbacks his whole career. 
and was in a bad situation, maybe, you know, the market will drop to a point where he is worth it. But, you know, Michael Gallup, some of these other ones, I just, I don't see the Browns doing it. I just, I think they'd roll with the guys they have over doing something like that. So that's it for this podcast. Uh, you know, keeping this one short and sweet. I do want to get in, into more stuff. I just, I don't want to jump the gun on some of the free agency and draft things until we know a little bit more of the landscape. It's tough this early in the offseason just because things change so much. So, so far, uh, I'm, I'm I'm holding off uh, on some of those player reviews and stuff, but we are going to get into that as the offseason goes along. Until then, just enjoy the fact we've still got more football, guys. We don't need to rush into the offseason too early. I know the Browns aren't playing, but there's still the Super Bowl to watch, and then you know we'll jump into the offseason after that. So, That'll do it for this episode of The Rebuild, guys. And, yeah, just two words for you to wrap things up. Go Browns.